It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. the other side of midnight and yes virginia speaker and new york new jersey and all the other states of the union it's uh, quite an interesting week last week as we all got quite a lesson in civic affairs and i think c-span did probably the greatest ratings they've done since two impeachments ago but where do we go from here and have the seeds of division that seem to be sown by polarization? Is that something that is obviated now that there is a working majority and the speaker has finally been elected? Well, somebody that knows a thing or two about polarization and how Washington works is former U.S. Senator from Connecticut, former Democratic nominee for vice president and uh, a man who has a resume longer than we can list in all four hours of this program, <laughs> Senator Joe Lieberman. Senator, it's great to talk with you again. Now, I'm a great admirer of you and your work. It's a real treat to have you on the program. Uh, thanks, Frank. And I'm a great admirer of you and your work, too. It's good to be on the program. You sure you don't want to read my whole resume? <laughs> no, okay. If we have some extra time, we'll, we'll get no, to it. save me. Uh, okay. So give me uh, give me your thoughts on what we just saw in the in the House. I know that uh, obviously your expertise has mostly been in the U.S. Senate, but I'm sure you were watching riveted as the rest of us were. Was this healthy? What we just witnessed? Was it destructive or was it something in between? Yeah, well, it wasn't healthy. It probably was uh, destructive. I mean, it's part of a broader problem in Washington, although this played itself out within one party. Uh, in one chamber, obviously the Republican Party in the House. But the broader problem is that um, uh, the the way our system has, our democratic system, our republic has worked since the founding in the 18th century is by uh, people who have been elected to represent the American people in Washington uh, with differences of opinion meeting in the center, talking respectfully, looking for ways that they can find common ground, almost always requiring compromises, and then doing that uh, to get something done uh, for the people who are good enough to send them there. But that doesn't happen much anymore. I mean, somebody said to me uh, not so long ago, people in one party would say the other party was wrong on a given matter. Today, they say the other party is evil, and mm. uh, that's just not right. It's it's not what America is supposed to be about. So, as I say, coming back to last week in, in uh, the fight to be speaker, I mean, you had a, a relatively small, it was like 20 out of about 222, about 10 percent of the Republican caucus just uh, wouldn't budge to the majority, wouldn't compromise I mean, in the end, they they got uh, Kevin McCarthy to uh, yield to them on a number of of points. But it, it, frankly, was not a good sign for what's to come. And uh, right away this week, as I understand it, they've got to adopt 
amendments to the rules of the House, which will incorporate and, and enact some of the concessions that uh, Speaker McCarthy made to the uh, to the 20 uh, dissidents. And uh, as happens, the, the more moderate Republicans are the ones who are not moderate, but they're they're institutionalists. They they mm-hmm. they, they want the House to operate as normally have think that. Uh, Kevin gave away too much, and they're talking about imposing those changes. So bottom line, I'm glad to talk about it in more detail. It doesn't augur well for getting a lot of things done uh, over the next two years in the House and therefore in Congress. Well, so that's precisely my question. What do you think the next two years look like in terms of President Biden's relationship with the Republican House, in terms of the House majority's relationship with the House minority, in terms of uh, Senator Schumer's relationship with Speaker McCarthy? And I guess maybe the most important question within the Republican conference itself, what do you think we're in store for over the next couple of years? Yeah, those are big questions. I mean, I'd I'd say that, you know, in, in the days not so long ago, um, you you would act in a way in Washington if you were lucky enough to be elected to Congress to try to get some things done so you can go back to your constituents um, every two or six years and say, hey, this is what I got done. And, I, I, and in fact, I worked with people in the other party to get it done. Now uh, it seems that people try to get reelected by saying, I try to do this, but those bums in the other party stop me from doing it and and that's not uh uh good for our uh system so i would say um that there will be some attempts to break through this i mean i i'm i'm privileged to be the founding chair of a group called no labels meaning meaning don't don't pin democrat the republican on yourself as if those labels are what matters most what matters most is you're an american you were elected to Congress, you got a responsibility to your country and your constituents, and we have uh, bipartisan groups in both uh, houses of Congress, and they're going to be working to try to come up with some uh, proposals that can pass, just as they did in the last two years: bipartisan infrastructure reform, some of the uh, COVID um, pandemic responses, well, both of which came out of. Uh, these these bipartisan groups. They're not leaders. They're rank and file. But if something catches fire, they can make something happen. I mean, if they can't, then the basic operation of government is 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 going to falter. And um, what do I mean by that? It's hard to imagine that the budget will be passed. They'll be mm. passing these so-called continuing resolutions, which is just a way to say we couldn't agree on the budget we wanted for the next year. So we're simply going to pass a resolution continuing the budget we had for last year, regardless of whether we're overspending in some areas or we need uh, more in other areas. And then, as was mentioned several times uh, last week in the battle for uh, the new Republican speaker, uh, we're coming up against the so-called debt limit. And if we don't extend the debt limit as much as the debt is just crazily out of site, um, then uh, it's possible that the U.S. government will default on its uh, bonds and credit, and it would create a uh, – would put us on a path back to a, a deep recession. Uh, so, but, uh, but people have to compromise to do that, and, uh, and in this climate where it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, – you're my enemy, 
and I'm going to try to make you look bad, even if that hurts the country. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to do those uh, those things that have to be done. And, uh, Senator, I'm a, a member of Lo- No Labels, lifelong independent. I remember the first yeah, meeting yeah. Uh, that we had uh, in, I think it was in your office in Washington over over 10 years ago when No Labels was first getting started. So uh, everything you're saying is uh, right up my alley. And I think uh, No Labels uh, has been offering a lot of nonpartisan and bipartisan solutions that a lot of common sense people in both parties can, can get behind. Uh, l- let me ask you about sort of a worst case scenario sure. two years from now or four years years from now with respect to the left. A lot of folks were watching Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talk with what some folks have called her right-wing counterparts, Matt Gates or Paul Gosar. And a lot of folks have said, well, look at what the right did here. There's no reason the left couldn't have done that two years ago when the House Democrats had a narrow four-seat majority. And now a lot of anti-establishment left-wing pundits are saying that they should take a clue from the Freedom Caucus and use this as an opportunity the next time the Democrats have a narrow majority to force votes on some of their key issues because look at all the key concessions the right wing got here. Is that something that you think is a realistic fear two years or four years from now? Yeah, it may may really be. And uh, I must say when I saw Congressman Ocasio-Cortez talking to Congressman Matt Gates. I thought, what the heck are those two talking about? And I, I said to myself, whatever it is, it's not good for Congress or the country. <laughs> and, uh, it, um, you know, I'm, uh, the, the same thing could have happened in the Democratic Party that happened in the Republican Party last week, because there is a small group further to the left in the Democratic Party that uh, disagrees with uh, most of the other Democrats in their caucus. And uh, I must say that you got to give Nancy Pelosi credit because uh, she is liberal herself, but she was a very strong speaker, a very good political leader, and she sort of kept them in line. But this experience in which these 20 uh, conservative Republicans basically held up the Congress and got an enormous amount of media attention, my guess will be to encourage uh, Democrats, if they re- regain mm. next time or the time after that, liberal Democrats, to try to gum up the works in the same way uh, to get something out of it. Incidentally, back in 2018, when the Democrats won a majority in the House and Nancy Pelosi was uh, set to be Speaker, a group of our Democratic members uh, uh, in the House, the House Problem Solvers Caucus, supported by No Labels, said to um, Speaker Pelosi, we're not going to support you unless you uh, make some changes in the rules. Uh, and those rules changes were meant to give individual members of Congress the, the right to at least get their amendments and bills up to be heard and debated and voted on. And they they were, uh, you know, they started out with about 28 Democrats in the No no Labels Problem Solvers Caucus, and she wore them down, but nine of them held. And she needed those nine to get to be speaker, and she compromised and uh, changed the rules. Uh, And uh, I suppose maybe the the, uh, 20 who fought McCarthy last week used that as a as a precedent, but uh, you know, both houses, both chambers are very close, 
and um, uh, both are going to require strong leadership that cooperates cooperates with each other, which is exactly what's not been happening. I want to just give you a reason to be slightly optimistic, but I'm afraid it's probably not going to happen now. 1994, I was in the Senate, and uh, that was the year that Newt Gingrich and the conservative uh, Republican majority was elected in the House. And Bill Clinton was president, and most everybody said, oh, my God, nothing's going to get done. It's going to be a civil war between the parties. But these two uh, men, Clinton and Gingrich, very different, um, began to talk to each other and work mm-hmm. with each other and negotiate. And they both reached a judgment, which you might say was political, but it was also a policy judgment. Each of them needed to get something done to say to their followers, okay, I promised you I'd do this and this is what I would do, but they both realized that they couldn't do it without the support of the other one, so they compromised. They got welfare reform done, they got criminal justice reform done, and the biggest of all, they got the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, which actually led to three, the last three years of Clinton's term as president, we had a surplus in the U.S., uh, budget, which is the last time that's happened since then. Now, can that happen again now with President Biden and the leadership of both parties in the uh, in, in the in the Congress? Well, it, it, it's you got to be a real optimist to think it will. But believe me, it's worth a try uh, by the president and the four leaders of both houses. And of course, it will be good for the country. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, the instance from the 1990s, because one of the things that's been frustrating to me uh, during the Obama years is a lot of Obama partisans all say, oh, Obama's not able to do anything. He's limited because all the Republicans are out to get him. And then uh, during the Trump years, the Trump uh, defenders would say the same thing. Oh, Trump's not able to get anything done because the Democrats keep trying to sink him. And I always would point to that instance of the 1990s where here, look, you had the Republicans who literally impeached Bill Clinton and you had Bob Dole who was literally running against Bill Clinton and yet they were somehow able to leave it all out on the field politically and then actually come to uh, some legislative agreement on some uh, some major, major accomplishments. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, good for you. Incidentally, I'm glad you mentioned Bob Dole because what a situation. Now, now there's a patriot, a war hero, but he's actually running against Clinton Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't uh, showboat and take cheap political shots. He works with Clinton on some stuff to get some things done. And uh, that was pretty amazing. So, um, you know, God bless Bob Bill's memory, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking with uh, former U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman. He's uh, very active in a group called No Labels, which uh, may actually be offering a pretty interesting choice to voters next year, which I want to ask you about. But before we talk about the presidential race, Senator, you alluded to the Problem Solvers Caucus. I was sort of hoping that the result of this speaker stalemate would be that the Problem Solvers Caucus would come up with a consensus census speaker that moderate Republicans and Democrats could get behind, and uh, we might actually see something get accomplished for the next two years. Well, that didn't happen, but I am wondering, will the Problem Solvers Caucus be the group that helps get things like a vote on the debt ceiling or other key must-pass pieces of legislation through so that the wheels of government can keep on on churning? Do you see them being more important given the narrow majority this year? 
Yeah, I do. Incidentally, Frank, I appreciate your involvement uh, with No Labels. And, you know, you and we and No Labels really represent the largest political group in America, as I like to say, the fastest-growing uh, political party. And the biggest political party in America is no party, which mm-hmm. is the independents, the, the unaffiliated, because they, they've they lost confidence in uh, Republicans uh, and Democrats. So if anything is going to be accomplished in this next two years in Congress, the odds are great that it will start out with these bipartisan groups in both the House uh, and the Senate. I, I share your, I shared your hope that uh, they would have been able to play some role in coming up with a speaker that had bipartisan support, but it, it just didn't come together. And the, the majority in both caucuses didn't want to cooperate at all. Either. So the moderate Republicans were under pressure from their caucus not to get involved in that kind of thing. And, and frankly, the moderate Democrats uh, were under pressure from their caucus. And a lot of Democrats said um, if that ever became possible, they just couldn't imagine a Republican they'd vote for for speaker, although there were some pretty good, widely respected candidates like the uh, former Congressman Fred Upton of Michigan. So, but but they're it. I mean, uh, barring a, a, a wonderful surprise that the leaders of both parties in both houses worked together with President Biden, uh, if anything uh, is going to happen, including on the must-happen stuff like the budget and the debt ceiling, it's got to come out of. It's got to start in the bipartisan groups that no labels has supported and uh, will continue to support. One of the reasons that uh, I found to be optimistic in the last couple of weeks is that while we're seeing more and more state legislatures develop their own equivalent of the Freedom Caucus, we also saw Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Alaska have coalitions of both parties to elect a speaker or a leader of that legislature to have the Democrats and the Republicans in those state legislatures come together and pick one of these unity speakers. And we had a similar arrangement in New York a couple of years ago with the Independent Democratic Conference partnered with the Republicans. I'm wondering if we can't see a bipartisan or nonpartisan unity on a national level, are the state legislatures the next sort of chapter of where we can look to for that sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think that's an important insight. Uh, You know, famously, I think it was Justice Brandeis said that the laboratory, the, the state governments are the laboratories of democracy. In other words, it's where uh, new ideas begin, uh, um, new ideas usually in terms of legislation, that if it passes in enough of the state uh, government laboratories, then it will be taken up nationally in Congress. But it, it also can be true with this um, uh, partisanship problem, crisis really, and that uh, the, the state legislatures are closer to the people than Congress is. They're getting the same message from, I think, a plurality or a majority of their voters. Get together, guys. Don't, don't, don't keep spitting at each other. We want you to solve some of our problems instead of playing politics. And I take that to be a, a really encouraging sign that could lead to similar behavior uh, in Washington. 
Uh, we're talking with Senator Joe Lieberman, who's been speaking out about polarization in politics long before it was fashionable. In some respects, he was a, uh, a victim of hyperpartisanship. Other respects, he showed that hyperpartisanship can be countered with uh, nonpartisan coalitions of people working together. All right, uh, Senator, next year, the most likely matchup in the presidential race, it looks to be uh, like a Biden versus Trump rematch, even though the majority or at least a plurality of Republicans say they'd prefer someone other than Trump and a plurality of Democrats say they prefer someone other than Biden. I know you served with Senator Biden, with uh, then Senator Biden for a long time in the Senate, but no labels is talking about offering a third choice, not a third political party, but just a third choice for folks that are fed up with a Biden versus Trump rematch. How do you view a no labels candidate faring in that sort of a scenario? And are there any specific names of folks you could see that would fill that void effectively? Yeah, so really no names yet. But I mean, to me, this is a a really significant development because you're right. Let's start with the political reality, which you stated. You've got two probable candidates, President Trump, President Biden, uh, saying they're both, well, one has already announced Trump, Biden said he's going to run again, and a majority of the American people say that's not the choice they want, including significant numbers in both of their own uh, political parties. Um, No Labels has really been a movement that's been dedicated to trying to make the two-party system uh, in America work by getting more centrist elected in both parties. Um, So the fact that we have now as a movement, open the door to running a third ticket, which will be a national unity bipartisan ticket uh, in 2024 is really significant. And it represents uh, broad frustration among our members with the idea that it's going to be a choice um, between Trump and Biden. Um, what, what we're doing now, because, you know, you can't decide in 2024 to run a third uh, ticket, an independent ticket, bipartisan, because you got to qualify in all 50 states. I mean, the two parties have, in a sense, made it harder to, to do the kind of thing we're trying to do. So we knew we'd have to start early, and we've raised some money, and we got people working uh, methodically in the states around the country. We think that uh, we're qualified now in about 10 or 11 states, and, and we're confident that by uh, 2024, we, we will be on the ballot in um, all 50 states. So then the question is, uh, first of, do do we run a ticket? And, you know, we're calling this the insurance policy project. And we, by that we mean uh, we hope and, and maybe we won't have to buy the pol- or, or use the policy like you buy a fire insurance policy. You hope your house doesn't catch on fire. So we hope that Maybe the two parties will nominate different candidates that will be more centrist and and have more support for the American people. If not, we want to be ready uh, to run a ticket. And and we haven't thought about, really, I certainly haven't, uh, who might be on that ticket. But I think there is a real strong consensus among the members of No Labels around the country that if we do this, we can make a really strong statement. Uh, by making it a bipartisan ticket, one Republican, one Democrat. And, of course, it depends on who's interested. It would take some guts by established politicians. Absolutely. 
to run well, hey, because they would declare war on their parties. You have some experience running for president or vice president, so don't be surprised yes. to see yourself uh, drafted. I, uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. But I'm glad to support this effort. And look, if it if for some reason it helps to get both parties to nominate people who are more responsive to both what the members of their party want as well as the American people, then all to the good. Uh, thank you, Senator. I appreciate it. Let's do this again soon. It's always a treat to talk with you. And you too. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you. Uh, Senator Joe Lieberman, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 833-969-4447. That is 833-969-4447. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 